0: Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, the introduction to that chapter. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Romans chapter 5, verse 1 Hear the word of God. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, we also boast in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. For while we were yet weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will someone die for a righteous person, although for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that, while we yet were sinners. Christ died for us. Much more surely than now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. And not only that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Is it going to work best for me to have my microphone off? Because uh, I'm. seems we're having some issues today. What, what do you want me to do? Uh, Can All you right. Very good. Well, we are in... The week leading up to Valentine's Day, the holiday that is dedicated to love. Everywhere you look, you will hear people proclaiming love, and you will see on television that the best way to show your love is through, the, through a perfect meal, or through a bouquet of flowers, or through diamonds, depending upon how much love you feel you need to express. If there's anything that we think that we know about, it must be love because we talk about it all the time. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself what you really mean when you use that word love? You know, I love popsicles. I love to watch Doctor Who. I love my dog. I love my boys. I love my wife. Now I've just used that same word to describe how I feel about a bunch of different things. And I hope you would understand that even though I am exceptionally fond of popsicles, the way I feel about them pales in comparison to the way I feel about my wife. Yet I've used the same word in multiple ways. You know, that's kind of a failing of the English language, that you have to have a little bit more context in order to understand what we mean by love. In Greek, that is not a problem. In Greek, they have a bunch of different words to talk about love. They have one word that talks about brotherly love. They have another word that describes the kind of love a parent would have for a child. There's another word for romantic or sexual love. And then there is this word that we have in our text for today. The word is agape. And it is the primary word used for love throughout the New Testament. But what's interesting is, prior to the writings of the New Testament, it is a word that you hardly see in Greek literature. And that's because the ancient Greeks believed that that word, agape, was impossible. It was a fairy tale, science fiction, not anything that we could really write about because it's simply not possible. What is agape? It is selfless love. Selfless. Now, when I heard that, I thought, well, what's the big deal about that? What's so hard to understand about about selfless love? I like to think that that my love that I show for my my family, especially for my wife, is pretty selfless. But then I got thinking about it. I thought about that day when I finally worked up enough courage to, to look at my wife and say to her for the first time, I love you. And even more that day that I worked up enough courage to say, I love you so much, I want you to marry me. And because I love you, you really ought to consider it. Now, what was I saying when I said, I love you? Well, I, I lacked the emotional sophistication at the time to put it quite in these words, but in reality, this is what was going through my mind. I think the lights are fine the way they are. We don't need to make any further adjustments on them. This is what was going through my mind when I said, I love you. I thought, you know, I like the way she looks. I like the way she walks. I like how I feel when she smiles at me. I like what happens when she gets close to me. In fact, the closer she gets, the more I like it. I like that so much, I'd like that to go on forever. Because when she's close to me, I'm happy. And I like to be happy. That's appalling, isn't it? That's not selfless love. It's the exact opposite. I had made her an object for my pleasure. But do you realize that is in our humanness? the best, highest, noblest kind of love that we, in our humanity, are able to express. And there is the problem. Because you see, when, when we have that kind of love that is conditioned upon what we get out of it, then implicit within that is, the moment you stop bringing me pleasure, the moment you are more trouble to me than you are worth, then I reserve the right to withdraw my love. And that is why when you look around, you see marriages that fail, friendships that fall apart, churches that split. Because in our best, highest, noblest concept of love, it is conditioned upon what we get out of it. And yet the Apostle Paul tells us that there is this agape, this absolutely selfless love, that can come into our hearts. Absolutely selfless. Well, how can that be? What what would that even look like? Absolutely selfless love. It doesn't seem like that would be possible. I mean, is it even humanly possible to be able to have love that has no consideration for yourself? Well, the answer is no. It is not humanly possible, because that kind of love isn't human love. It is divine. Paul tells us that the love of God is poured into our hearts. Now, even there, if I say to you, the love of God, what, it is, what, do, you, what do you think it is that I'm talking about? We just sang about the love of God. Are we singing about God's love for us, our love for God, God's love generally? What does that mean, the love of God? Well, If you go and you take a look at what Paul is saying there and you break it out and you diagram the sentences and all of that, you will find that the best way to translate it is God's love. God's love. The very love that God expresses, the very love that God feels, the very love that God demonstrates. That agape, selfless love, Paul says, can come into our hearts. It is divine love. Absolutely selfless. Now, what's the difference between God's love and the best, highest, noblest form of love that you and I can can ever show in our humanity? Well, it is all the difference that there can be. It is the same difference as there is between God and something that you and I create. Because you see, when we love, it's something that we're doing. But when God loves, it's not what he does, it is who he is. It is the essential aspect of his character. As Christians, we're the only people in the world who believe that God is love. It is simply who he is. And so, if God is love, and God's love is put into our hearts, what do we get in our hearts? We get God. God in our hearts. Our ability to be able to agape, our ability to be able to have selfless love comes solely from the fact that God can come into our hearts and we can love with the very love of God. Now, how how could that be? I mean, could you truly love the way he does? Because remember what Paul says in our scripture that we might possibly be willing to trade our lives for a virtuous person. We, we might possibly trade our lives for someone whom we deem to be worthy of our lives. But God shows his agape for us in this way, that while we yet were sinners, Christ died for us. And so he tells us that that same selfless love can come into our hearts. And so question one that I have for you today is, do you have God's love In your heart. Now you may very well ask the question, how can I know? Well that's a good question, I'm glad you asked. I grew up on a farm back behind our house towards the tool shed there was a pear tree. I hated that tree, despised it. Now I like pears but I didn't like the pears that came from this pear tree. You see pears are supposed to be juicy, sweet, delicious, not these. These These were a product of the fall. If you tried to eat one of these pears, your mouth would turn inside out. It was bitter. It was nasty. It was weapons grade. I hated the pear tree. Since I grew up on a farm, in a farming community, it was expected that all of us, boys anyway, would be a part of FFA, Future Farmers of America, and so I was. And I was in an FFA uh, meeting, where they were talking about fruit trees. And I shared the fact that this pear tree was a vile abomination before the Lord. And my FFA uh, advisor, Mr. Knopp, said, well, that seems very odd. I'd like to see that myself sometime. And so a few weeks later, he happened to be in the area. He came by, he said, Mike, show me that pear tree. I took him out back, and I showed it to him, and he looked at it for a moment. He said, I see the problem. It's not a pear tree. It's a quince tree. I didn't know what quince was. Apparently it's something that you use for for canning or something. I uh, I I think you probably use it in warfare. Um, (laughs) But I learned a very important theological truth that day. I'm going to share this with you. You may want to write this down. Did you know that quince trees do not produce pears? And here's the second one at no extra charge. If you retrieve quince from a tree, it must have been a quince tree that it came from. Wasn't that worth the price of admission to learn that today? Well, here's the theological truth. So often we sing about having the love of God in our hearts, or we proclaim that we do. We talk about being filled with the Spirit. We talk about being transformed And then we we walk out and something happens where maybe somebody cuts us off in traffic and we yell and scream. Uh, We get a bill in the mail that seems larger than what we can possibly get and we go into deep depression and fear. We do all sorts of things while saying that we have the love of God in our hearts. Well, if you have the love of God in your heart, which Paul says is poured into us by the Holy Spirit turns out we happen to know through the Word of God what the fruits of the Spirit are. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That is the fruit that comes from being filled with His Spirit, with His love. And so, if there is fruit coming out of your heart that is not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You've got a tree growing in your heart, but it's not pear tree, it's quince. Because the love of God cannot help but produce that kind of fruit. So question two for you is, what kind of fruit is coming out of your heart today? Now, if it would be, if your testimony would be, you know, it's it's something I'm not really proud of. There's something going on there, but it's not what I really would like to see, but I don't know how to fix it. How do I get the love of God in my heart? Well, here's what we know. You have to work really, really hard at it. it no, wait a minute. I did not read that part. Uh, no, you have to do a lot of good works. Uh, that wasn't part of the text either. How do you get the love of God? There's nothing you can do. He is the one who does it. What you do is get in the way and resist the love of God, but the Holy Spirit can put His love in your heart. December seventh, 1941, Jake DeShazer was in a mess hall when he got the word that the Japanese had attacked Pearl Harbor. He was immediately filled with hatred and rage, and he vowed that he would be part of getting revenge against the country that had attacked his. And he soon had his opportunity. Jake volunteered to be a part of Jimmy Doolittle's raid, the first bombing run over Tokyo by the United States in World War II. Jake was so intent upon having a chance to be able to, to, make, to, to exercise retribution against the Japanese that he didn't even report the problem with the windscreen of his plane for fear that that plane would get scrubbed from the mission and he would miss out on his chance to go, possibly give his life and a chance to be able to strike back. They took off from the carrier Hornet. They flew over Tokyo, they dropped their bombs over Nagoya. But there wasn't enough fuel for them to be able to get back. And they had to ditch their planes over Japanese occupied China. And Jake and his comrades were captured. Jake spent the next 40 months in a Japanese prisoner of war camp. 34 of those months, he was in solitary confinement. And he was brutalized mercilessly. There was a guard who had a particular hatred for him, and they were allowed to go out every day for about 30 minutes to exercise, barefoot in the snow. And one day, as Jake was coming back, his guard, who, who disliked him so much, just kind of shoved him into the, into the cell. Jake got his foot caught in the doorway, and the guard just kept slamming that door shut against Jake's foot, yelling, hurry, hurry. Jake said, I knew what hatred was. I knew it plenty. But then through the mercy and grace of God, a Bible became available for those prisoners. When it was Jake's turn to get it, he devoured it. He read it cover to cover. He memorized the Sermon on the Mount, and he found Christ. And he testified to how he knew that his sins were forgiven. He felt a lightness. He felt felt a peace and an assurance, even though he was there in horrible conditions. But there was still something else going on. Because one day after, after his guard was being particularly mean to him, Jake was in his cell. He was crying his eyes out before the Lord, and he said, Lord, You told me that I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Now, the only neighbor I've got is my guard, and I don't love him. In fact, I hate him. But you said I'm supposed to love him. Now, if you say I'm supposed to do this, I want to be obedient, but I can't do it. So, Lord, if I'm going to love my guard, will you put that love in me? And he testified to how the love of God came into his heart in that moment. And how one moment he is just filled with anger and rage towards his guard. And the very next moment he's saying, Lord, the only reason my guard treats me this way is because no one has ever told him about you. What a tragedy that no one has ever told him about you. Lord, would you send someone to tell my guard about you? And God said, well, Jake what about you? Would you tell your guard about me? And while we're on the subject, if I get you out of here, do you think you'd be willing to come back and tell your guard's countrymen about me? And Jake said, well, yes, I think I would. If that's what you want me to do, yes, yes, I would love the chance to be able to tell people about you. And he did. Jake's guard accepted Christ. Several other guards accepted Christ. And when the war was over, Jake DeShazer came back. He went to Japan as a missionary. He held evangelistic campaigns all throughout the country, won countless people to the Lord. Now, how does something like that happen? It happens when the love of God comes in and fills a person's heart, changing, actually chasing away anger, fear, hatred, bitterness, replacing it with that selfless love that treats others as being more important than yourself. Now, if that kind of love shows up in somebody's life, it ought to make a difference, shouldn't it? There ought to be a change. It ought to be evident. And since it's God showing up, don't you think it really would have an effect that would even go beyond the individual? Well, it certainly did in the case of Jake DeShazer. I already told you about the fact that he led so many people to the Lord, but you know there was somebody else on December 7th, 1941 who was filled with hatred and bitterness. Captain Fushida was the leader of the Japanese bombers heading to um, Pearl Harbor. He was so excited to have a chance to be able to, uh, to strike at the United States. He said that as they approached Pearl Harbor, they saw the battleships lining up. And then when the bombs started to fall and the battleships started to sink, he said, this is the day of all days for my emperor and me. But when the war ended, his hatred and his bitterness did not end. Captain Fushida continued to be filled with this this rage and, and desire for revenge. And one day, a few years after the war, as he was getting off of a train, somebody handed him a track. And he looked at it, and it was the story of Jake DeShazer. And he read it, and he said, If there is a God who can do something like that to someone like him, do you suppose that God could do something like that to someone like me? And he did. And Captain Fushida found the Lord. He and Jake DeShazer became the closest of friends, and they led evangelistic campaigns together throughout Japan. Now, how does something like that happen? It happens when the love of God comes in and fills a person's heart. Now, there's so much I love about that story of Jake DeShazer, but one of the things I appreciate the most is the clarity of the witness, of someone who said, who unquestionably had the experience of salvation, He accepted the Lord. He knew his sins were gone, but he still had what John Wesley called a remaining sin within. There was was something within him. Something he knew was unpleasant to God. It was something that was unpleasant to him and something he knew he was powerless to change. And so in the realization that there was nothing he could do, he said, God, only you can do it, and I will let you, and God did. And in filling him with that love, it was so easy for him to then be obedient, to do whatever it is that God called him to do. Because when the love of God comes into your life, it will not only change you, it has to change the people around you. I want you to think about those who you are praying for now. People who do not know the Lord and you wish they did. Family member, friend, coworker Do you realize the testimony of your life will mean much more than the testimony of your words. And when the love of God comes in and transforms you, it will transform the people around you. Quite a number of years ago, there was an evangelist who, uh, towards the end of his message, he called up a young woman from the front row, asked her to stand right next to him. He took a glass of water and he held it out in his arm like this. And he said to the young woman, I want you to take my arm with both hands. And she did. And then he said, I want you to shake it violently. It took a little bit of coaxing, but she did. And with predictable results, the water went flying in every direction, spilled on her, on the evangelist, on the carpet, on the front row. Then he said, can you tell me why water spilled all over the place? She said, well, it's because I shook your arm. He said, oh, no. That's why it spilled. But the reason why it spilled water is because there was water in the cup. See, so often we say things without even really thinking about it. If I do something today you don't like and you go home and you stew about it and you you say, you know what, that preacher makes me angry. Well, you might be angry, but your vocabulary is wrong. See, I don't have the power to put anger in your heart. All I can do is shake you up. And if it's anger that comes spilling out, it's because there was anger there in the first place. You do something that I don't like, and I go home and I stew about it, and I say, you know, I really resent that person. Oh, no, that's not true. There's not a person in the world who has the power to put resentment in my heart. All you can do is shake me up. If it's resentment that comes spilling out, it's because there was resentment already there. Jesus said, In this world, you will have tribulation. That's a first century way of saying, you're going to be all shook up all the time. We can't help but be in a world where we are shaken up. The question is, what is going to come spilling out of us when that happens? What's in your heart right now? Is there someone in your life that's giving you difficulty? Is there a situation you're going through that's causing you problems? That person, that situation is God's gift to you to show you what's really in your heart. Because when Christ was shaken up, it was love that spilled out. When Jake DeShazer was shaken up, it was love that spilled out. And something that I notice about myself You know, I can probably put on a pretty good mask for a while around you. For one thing, I don't feel really shaken up around here. It's easy to be loving to you because you're all very lovable. It's easy to be very gracious towards you because you are very gracious towards me. But what I notice is when I step out of these comfortable settings and I go out into a world where I get shaken up, you know who usually gets wet from what spills out of me? It's those who I love the most. It's my family, it's my friends, it's my coworkers. There is no way around getting shaken up. And so there's no way around the people closest to you getting all wet. The question is, what do you want your loved ones to get splashed with? Do you want it to be bitterness, anger, hostility, resentment, or would you like them to get wet with the love of God. The agape, the selflessness, that love that can't help but transform. So who is it that came to mind when I asked you about those that you are praying for? Those who do not yet know the Lord. Those who you really wish did. Could it be that the main thing that will end up bringing them into a saving relationship with Jesus is going to be the testimony of what happens to you when you get shook up. Is it the love of God? If it's not, it can be. I'd like everyone to bow their heads, close their eyes, with no one looking around. Perhaps as you heard the story of Jake DeShazer, it resonated with you, and you've never been in a Japanese prisoner of war camp, but you know what it's like. You know what it's like to have your sins forgiven and yet still be aware of something within, something you're unhappy with, something that you know God is not pleased with. If there's anyone who today would, like Jake DeShazer, say, God, I want to be obedient, but I can't. Will you put that love in me? If that's your prayer, would you just slip your hand up? Amen. Yes, good. Thank you. And I absolutely believe in the power of God to be able to come right where we are and do a transformation. But I also know there's some times where we just need to get up and start being obedient. So uh, I don't want to close without first giving a chance if anyone would like to come up to the altar to pray through on that. The moment we walk out of here, we enter into a world where we will be shaken. Whatever's in your heart right now is what's going to splash out. Is that what you want to have hit the people you love? There's one who's come. Would there be anyone else? We don't have to go through life saying, well, this is just the way I am. I'm a miserable old pickle puss, and you just have to put up with it. God wants to transform even you. Here's another would there be anyone else? The love of God. It can be something that we don't just sing about. it's about it can be something we experience. We can have His selfless love in our hearts.